Hello, everybody. Thank you for downloading this month's Deep Dive. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Rabbits Insurance. Stephanie Pearson at Pearson Rabbits is my personal disability and life insurance agent. It is my personal opinion that a solid individual disability insurance policy is a purchase that you should be making during residency. And the reason for this being is that you can get that underwriting done early while you're healthy and before you have some sort of injury or other medical diagnosis that a doctor documents somewhere. Keep in mind that just because you're purchasing it as a resident, that doesn't mean you need to purchase the full disability insurance amount that you're going to have as an attending. So let's say as an attending, you're going to want to buy a disability insurance policy that pays you whatever, $5,000, $7,500 a month or whatever it is if you get disabled just because you're going to want that eventually. That does not mean you have to pay for a policy that big as a resident. And with based off my discussions with Dr. Pearson, in some cases you can buy a policy that pays you as low as $1,000 a month as a resident if you get disabled. But what it allows you to do is get all of your underwriting done while you're healthy. Now, every situation is different. That is why you need a good Disability insurance agent, Stephanie Pearson at Pearson Rabbits has been my agent well before we ever had a, a sponsorship kind of partnership going on. She is a great, great disability insurance agent. So thank you to Stephanie Pearson at Pearson Rabbits for sponsoring this deep dive. Now let's talk about hyponatremia. Now the main thing that you need to know about hyponatremia, generally speaking, the textbooks of emergency medicine are vastly overcomplicating a topic that is not that difficult from the emergency department perspective. Now, you can get really in-depth into hyponatremia and all the individual things that can cause it, and you'll see these charts, and it is hypertonic, isotonic, hypotonic, and then it's hypervolemic, euvolemic, hypovolemic, and you see these breakdowns and there's all these things under each category. And then it's saying things like get like serum cortisol and all this stuff. That, that to be honest, is kind of BS. It's not really how it goes in the emergency department. So I just want you to at least hear me out. Forget everything that the textbook says about hyponatremia. And I'm going to give you my best effort on how it actually, how an emergency medicine doctor kind of thinks through this. Four steps. Step number one, is the patient even symptomatic? Because we're getting, quote, basic labs on lots and lots of people. And that usually includes electrolytes. And we're checking it because we want to see what the creatinine is. Or maybe we do want to see if they're having some significant electrolyte abnormalities or whatever. But generally speaking, when we get basic labs, that includes a sodium. What that means is frequently we'll get basic labs on someone with, let's say, dysuria. Okay, and you're checking the kidney function, and they have a, a UTI, maybe a little flank pain, and you're kind of just getting some basic blood work. Just because the sodium results from lab, and it has low next to it, and it says it's below kind of a lab cutoff for hyponatremia, that doesn't mean that that's something that you need to do anything about in the emergency department. The vast, vast majority of patients with a, quote, low sodium can follow up on an outpatient basis. If they are asymptomatic and it's completely unrelated to what's going on, generally speaking, this is going to be followed up on an outpatient basis. 
if it's, you know, there might be an exception to that if the sodium level is just crazy, crazy low. But again, that's almost always going to be causing symptoms. If you have this mildly decreased sodium, it's not causing symptoms. Maybe it's chronic and you look back in previous sodium checks, all have this kind of mildly decreased sodium. That is something that needs to be followed up with their personal physician. That's your, from the ED perspective, you're kind of done. So the first question I always ask when I see that low sodium is, is this even related to the case today? Are they symptomatic from this? As a note, some of the symptoms that you see with hyponatremia, it tends to be this vague kind of stuff, kind of like a vague neurologic picture. So you start to get kind of confused. Uh, you'll see patients, maybe it's an older person, but they're starting to fall more. Um, in severe cases, they will be frankly altered and obtunded. They will be seizing. You can also just get things like nausea and muscle crap, cramps, muscle craps, muscle cramps, and kind of these vague systemic kind of symptoms on a mild basis. But again, if the patient's there with dysuria, the hyponatremia is not really related to that. So that's your first question. Is the patient even symptomatic? Because if they're not, generally speaking, it's not even related to what's going on. They can just follow it up with their doctor. Number two, if their sodium does come back significantly decreased, are they having severe symptoms? Now, severe symptoms with hyponatremia is considered seizing, is considered significant altered mental status. Generally speaking, it is severe neurologic manifestations of a low sodium. If that is the case, the treatment at any point in time, if the patient develops this with their, their hyponatremia, and it's attributable to the hyponatremia, again, it's not like they got, they got kicked in the head and now they've been with decreased GCS and you got a sodium and it's just a little bit low. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the sodium is low, they're altered, they're seizing, and you're like, oh, I think it's from that sodium. If that's the case, the treatment of choice is hypertonic saline. 3% sodium chloride, you'll see a couple different dosing recommendations given, but generally speaking, it's 100 to 150 milliliters. You give it over the course of 20 minutes, you see if they're better, and you can repeat it if they're not feeling better after the first, the first dose. The reason you're not just giving them tons and tons of this, and you guys probably know this, is because of um, kind of like a pontine demyelination syndrome, central pontine demyelinitis, uh, locked-in syndrome. Those sorts of things can happen if you overcorrect, and everyone, and, and those are real things that do happen. And so that's why you give, a, you give maybe 100 to 150 mLs of hypertonic saline, you see where you're at, you can repeat it if there's having severe neurologic symptoms. The third question that you want to ask then You'll see all these labs in the textbook and, and things that need to be checked. Um, so, for example, like a urine, like urine sodium and urine electrolytes and things like that. The reason those are important is because it helps you get down to the final diagnosis of what's calling the hypo, what's causing the hyponatremia. But if the hyponatremia is something that you're going to have to admit to the hospital anyways, because generally speaking, a true symptomatic hyponatremia, I would say, is getting admitted, they can do that workup on an inpatient basis and actually do the full workup rather than relying on you, the ED physician, to kind of initiate part of it. And then you're going, it, like, it just doesn't work. If Once you have your tests back, this is why the textbook gets it so wrong, in my opinion. Once you get your tests back, emergency medicine doctors frequently don't go and order a second round of tests. We might order some, but we're also calling the hospitalist along with it and saying, hey, the patient has, you know, hyponatremia. Anyways, the test, so if, to get to the point, though, the third question, the test that you want to get, though, is a serum osmolarity. Simpl this simplifies all of those charts 
in the book. Because basically, if the patient truly has hyponatremia, they're going to have a low serum osmolarity. So this confirms that that low sodium level is actually from low sodium. You will see in textbooks things like isotonic and hypertonic hyponatremia, and those would be categories that are listed out. All that is saying is there's something else in the bloodstream causing the sodium to look falsely low, kind of a pseudo-hyponatremia, so the most common being hyperglycemia, but also things like elevated blood proteins, elevated cholesterol, I want to say, um, certain osmotically active agents where they say things like mannitol and things like that. But just check a serum. You don't have to like even think about that. Just check a serum osmolarity. If it's actually low, then it's actually hyponatremia and low sodium as, as the cause of it. You can cut out half of it, all of the pseudo hyponatremia by checking a serum osmolarity. So that's your third step is the serum osmolarity decrease that would confirm hyponatremia. And then step number four is the patient, this is probably the most important step from a, your, your reassessment, but is the patient dehydrated? So if the, the signs of dehydration, right? Okay, so they're a little bit tachycardic, their lips are cracked, their eyes are sunken, their tongue is really dry. Historically, maybe they've been vomiting a ton, having a ton of diarrhea. Uh, maybe they've uh, recently just had a significant increase in diuretics or something. But if they look, if they look dehydrated, and they're having symptomatic hyponatremia along with it, the treatment for that is normal saline. So you give them maybe 500 mLs or 1,000 mLs of normal saline to treat that hyponatremia, which again is being admitted to the hospital. If they are not dehydrated and they are either euvolemic and they just look like normally hydrated, or they're hypervolemic and you look at them and you're like, this person has just anisarca, right? Like their hands are swollen, their feet are swollen, their tongue is not dry, like this person just looks fluid overloaded. The treatment is actually not to give normal saline, but it is to fluid restrict. And so the reason that you ask this dehydration question is because it gives you your final initial ED treatment. If they're dehydrated, you're giving them normal saline and admitting them. If they are not dehydrated and they are euvolemic or hypervolemic, you are fluid restricting them and admitting them. Okay, uh, to get this further workup done. Again, all of the stuff like maybe the thyroid studies in the cortisol levels and the urine, the urine electrolytes and stuff to see if it's a renal sodium wasting thing, right? Where you check your urine sodium and stuff. This is great fodder when you're a med student as far as physiology and things like that. But just the truth is, as an emergency attending, you move way too fast to be able to sort through a patient's new acute symptomatic hyponatremia. And again, the main four things you're asking is, this, the sodium's low. Is this a, a, a new, severe, clinically significant hyponatremia that's actually causing symptoms? Or is it just some asymptomatic, mild, chronic thing that can follow up with the doctor? Two, are they having severe symptoms where I need to be giving hypertonic saline? Three, did I check that? Did I add on that serum osmolarity? So at least we can confirm that this is true hyponatremia and not a pseudo hyponatremia caused by hyperglycemia, high blood protein, mannitol, all those other categories that you see in the textbook. Just get a serum osmolarity. And then four, are they dehydrated? This determines your initial ED management on a symptomatic hyponatremia that you're admitting to the hospital. Dehydrated, you're giving normal saline. Not dehydrated, you're fluid restricting. And that about covers it. Now take everything that I told you, take those things. Now go. feel free to go read 
read the hyponatremia chapter in Tintinales or Rosen's or, or whatever textbook and just read it with that in mind. Just keep in mind these textbooks tend to significantly overestimate it. If you have any questions, send me an email, zach at emclerkship.com. Thank you again to Stephanie Pearson and Pearson Ravitz Insurance, www.pearsonravitz.com for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to check them out. And until next case, enjoy your shift. <laughs>